Good evening and welcome to the beautiful historical marionette theater. It's a Friday night and uh, we're going to be sitting down here to visit some late 70s nostalgia, don't you know, with some space age clothing and some fantastic hair and, well, there's even some ray guns. Grab your seats. The show's about to begin. Well, how to do there, neighbor? How were you this fine night? Oh, I am pretty good. Pretty good. How about yourself? You know, um, we are just a stone's throw away from uh, that All Hallows' Eve, and I keep forgetting if it's Samhain or Salwin that's the the uh, the pagan. Uh, you know, Sunheim. Sunheim is a composer. Salwin holiday, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we have uh, Matthew Burlingame in the in the uh, room, and he knows all about that. Uh, but yeah, I believe it's pronounced Salwin. At least that's how I pronounce it. You know, the jack o' lantern. Actually, the idea for it originated in uh, the old Emerald Isle, Ireland. Um, of course, over there they don't didn't have pumpkins at the time, but they used to carve out um, well little gourds and turnips. Yes, and it's supposed to ward off the the spirits. Right. So I wish um, Matt and the chairman wrote in what. Samhain, mm-hmm. but I wish I knew how he he pronounced it. Mm. Can you spell it phonetically, Matt? Because uh, uh, Samhain is Sam. I wonder how that's pronounced. I think it's just Samhain. Okay, maybe that's what it is. So, um, you know, this time of year... The days are getting shorter, and it's dark earlier, and, you know, if I want to take my morning walk before I head off to the office, Toppy, it's uh, still dark out, so I have to put on the headgear, and no, I'm not talking about the the funny helmet that you had to wear if you had bad teeth. I'm talking about those little straps that you put on your head. It has a little light so that the cars don't hit you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, DJ, are you one of uh, the many people who just have a fuss budget over the changing of the hour? Or are you like me? Like, I don't, it, it's fine. I, In fact, I like it when it changes because I don't have to drive to work in darkness. So I, I want the I want that stupid hour shift. <laughs> what about you? Are you? Or is it like a very annoying to you? Well, as a homeowner, the frustration is coming home from work and not having much daylight left to accomplish anything, especially if you have any amount of yard. So uh, that's not as much a problem this time of year because we're not supposed to be doing that stuff as much, but I still feel like I'm coming home from work. And if I blink, it's bedtime. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the, that's the, uh, the other end of the clock is issue. <laughs> um, but no, I like right now when I'm going to work, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's pitch blackout. And mm-hmm. I, I would rather be going to work with at least, 
some daylight, which will happen, you know, once they change the hour. Mm-hmm. Any Hausen Hoosen, as yeah. Wanda Wisdom used to say. Oh, yeah. Uh, everyone in the chat room is um, feeling uh, feeling the uh, gay crema. Uh, <laughs> as Big Fatty would say, gay crema holiday. Um, I certainly am. And, uh, uh, boy, uh, wait till you guys hear the uh, Halloween edition of the Snowcast. <laughs> but we're here to talk about something else. We sure are. And, uh, you know, just a, a quick aside, the way I celebrated fall was I had some apple butter on some Eggo waffles today. Oh, <laughs> apple butter. I have not had apple butter in a million years. Oh, that good. really sounds good. Goodness, we go to the diner for a Sunday breakfast, and the, I, I, I'm the guy who digs through the little trough of the little tray of the jellies, looking for the apple butter. <laughs> okay, wait just a second. Um, Matt put a something so I can actually hear. Let's see. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to hear. Sawin. Isn't that what I said to begin with? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's even though it's pronounced. I mean, it's spelled Sam Hain. Uh-huh. It's pronounced Sawin. Hmm. So, so, you know, speaking of, um, you know, the the uh, the the trick or treat. <laughs> our senior showgirls got quite the outfit tonight. She's dressed yeah, like I- a pumpkin. I sure am, and I've had just about enough of this Samhain sowing shit. Let's get on to... You know what? I should have been cast in this stupid TV show. I could have been Aaron Gray. I could have fit into that outfit. Maybe not really, but I could have tried, you know? But anyways, nobody called me. I mean, you did take that self-defense class, so, you know, you could hold your own at least. Listen, I can kick anybody in the balls I want, but the fact is they never called me, and I'm pretty upset about that, DJ. Uh, what can you do? But, Nothing. um, I uh, know, well... I'm going to go soak in my candy corn oh. at, the, at, the con- at the station where I am. What's it called? Oh, the, the snack uh, bar? Thank you, the <laughs> snack bar. Well, I'll be down there. Oh, wait a minute, I got an intro. You do, if you could okay. uh, hit the stage for us before you okay. uh, get behind the counter for me, yeah, please. Yeah, and then I'll get my candy corn. Okay, I'm going down now. All, All right. right. Anytime you're ready. Whoopsie-daisy. There, there we go. Air Force Captain William Buck Rogers has reached the pinnacle of his career. He's become an astronaut and is bound for deep space. But something goes wrong and he's trapped in a deep sleep only to be awakened half a millennia later to an Earth that's been decimated by nuclear war. Among those who come to his rescue is the formidable and lovely Colonel Wilma Deering. Now, Buck is stuck in this future with no way home. Will Buck become a gun for hire? Or will he salute the flag of his new home? Grab a helmet and a ray gun. It's time for Buck Rogers in the 25th century. 
pew, 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 with Gil Gerard and Aaron Gray. Take it away, fellas. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? And a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Tommy. Well, 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 it's the late 70s, Toppy, and you can just smell the Aquanet in the air. <laughs> so, yeah, there must have been some Aquanet going on. Oh, you know, the, the hole in the ozone layer was just starting over Aaron Gray's That's trailer. Right. That's right. That was the time you started hearing about the whole news. You never hear about the whole news on anymore. And maybe that's one thing we got right. Well, you know, I think Elon Musk just bought it and changed its name. Yeah. Okay. So, Tom, well, we got to. Yeah, go ahead, Deej. Oh, well, I was going to say, Toppy, I do hear that tonight's show was a special thing because before it was a television series it actually got a theatrical release it was sent out to the silver screen to kind of get a test audience uh, well had... yeah uh the thing is uh, glenn a larson the producer also had uh done battlestar galactica just the year before and he learned something uh, because he put Battlestar Galactica out into the theaters and made kind of a buttload of money. And so he knew he was going to do the same thing with Buck Rogers. And he did. And and he knew that if it did well in the theaters, and it did, that the TV show was a sure thing. And that's exactly what happened. Mm, so I have a trailer, and this is the television ad for the theatrical release. So this was out in 79. Here you go. Music control, this is flight 711. Put on your cars, get your backgammon boards. Lucky Buck is back. Captain Buck Rogers, it appears you have returned to Earth 504 years later. Yeah! Buck Rogers, the world's first and greatest space hero. Truly, the trip of your life, 500 years from today. Buck Rogers in the 25th century, rated PG. Okay, so that was what was in the theater just before the show came out uh, in the the following uh, season there. And this was, uh, what year was it, Toppy? 79. Okay, so we like to do this thing where we put you in the mindset of what was going on in the world in 1979. Long time ago. U.S. history in 1979. Back then, a windstorm in Washington State sank a half-mile section of the Hood Canal Bridge. Oh, Oh, you know, I have no memory of that at all, but that must have been a horrible disaster i mean imagine having to call into work you couldn't use your cell phone that's ah, for sure. in, ah. in february of that year a total solar eclipse occurred in north america oh right in there for our spacey theme the 
first fully functional space shuttle orbital orbiter, get that right, DJ, Columbia is delivered to the Kennedy Space Center. So the space, the first space shuttle, Columbia, was delivered. San Francisco's San Franciscans, so, so the folks in San Francisco, rioted after the verdict of a Harvey Milk's assassination. Uh, McDonald's introduced the Happy Meal because, you know, you, you needed to have some reason to smile. Um, the Susan B. Anthony coin was introduced in 79. And oh the King of Pop began his journey. Michael Jackson released his first album called Off the Wall, and it brought in $7 million in 1979 money. I think of him starting out with his big solo career in the 80s, which I guess is just a year away, but mm-hmm. it does surprise me that it was 1979 for that album. Mm-hmm. And then, um, let's see, rounding out the year, President Carter, who's still with us today, knock on wood, establishes the Department of Education in 79. And then lastly, but certainly not most least, uh, it's to it's our um, our little uh, reach or whatever. Star Trek, the motion picture premiered at the Smithsonian of all places. So that was some serious stuff, folks. That's where they do the sciencing. That was yes. uh, premiered right there at the Smithsonian in 79. And it wasn't all that long ago. Well, maybe it was two years. Maybe it was three years now. But you, me, and Tommy Hatch Browns sat there and saw uh, the anniversary edition of Star Trek The Motion Picture on the big screen. You know, I like to think of that movie as the one where they had an adventure in their pajamas. (laughs) Actually, you want to know something? Think about the costumes in Star Trek The Motion Picture and the costumes in Buck Rogers in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Who copied who? Right. All, I, right all, I, all I can say is I think that Dr. McCoy should have kept his beard. <laughs> oh, God. Can you imagine? Uh, I remember. Okay, that's another story for another time. Uh, let me talk about Celebrity Voice. Yeah. All the people that were born. Born in 1979, bless their little hearts. (laughs) Let's start with Jennifer Love Hewitt. Uh, You know her. She's that uh, rock musician type gal, widow of Kurt Cobain. That's a terrible label to put on someone, widow. Well, anyway, she is. Adam Levine, uh, musician and also an actor. He was in Maroon 5. And he had his own brand at Kmart while that lasted. (laughs) <laughs> Very good. Um, uh, let's uh, let's talk about Nara Jones. She sounds like she should be a talking head on some television news program, but no, she's a singer and a jazz fusion musician. How about Keisha Knight Pulliam or Pulliam? Pul- Pulliam. Uh, she was that little cute Rudy on the Cosby Show. Ew. And then there's uh, Claire Danes. She's an actress on. And she was on my so-called life on MTV. How about Kate Hudson? Did you know Kate Hudson is the daughter of Goldie Horn? Mm-hmm. Well, she is. Rosario Dawson, an actress from the acclaimed Rent musical. She was also Josie and the Pussycats. And then 
Oh, that cutie patootie. Chris Pratt was born in 1979. Of course, you know him from Guardians of the Galander. Uh, Ga- Guardians of the Galander? <laughs> How did I get that? Anyways, you know what I mean, Galaxy. Uh, also, in 79, was born Pink. And it's not a starfish. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry. Pink singer and musician they were all born in 1979 all righty so buck rogers in the 25th century wait a minute Uh uh-huh i gotta go back to the chat room because apparently jennifer love hewitt was not was she or was she not married to kurt cobain because yeah i nah, i'm not entirely sure i was right okay well there uh, matt and um and tommy are laughing at me because apparently okay tommy ashburn says this courtney love oh yes that was um do it the widow of kurt cobain <laughs> not jennifer love mm. Oh, thank uh, you for the correction. But Gen- right. Jennifer Love Hewitt is a, a musician, is my understanding. So I was half, I was part right at least. There you go, um, DJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is important stuff. We got to get down to it. Uh, <clears throat> our sh- our show tonight aired on NBC on Thursday nights, and who, what was competing against? Coral Buck Rogers. Oh, goodness. Well, I mean, think of it back then. Uh, I'm not sure that people even had VCRs in their home. I mean, they were available, but they were quite pricey. So maybe your rich friend uh, had one, but you probably didn't. And, uh, you know, if you weren't uh, home, you certainly didn't catch it because there wasn't any other way. But uh, Thursdays, on NBC, it was the place to be for Buck Rogers. Now, on the other networks, on ABC, we had Laverne and Shirley, which, as we were saying on our last show, American Graffiti, had uh, the lovely Cindy Williams and Penny Marshall. Uh, also on, uh, I'm not sure, the, oh, also on ABC was Mork and Mindy, which, of course, introduced us to the uh, magnificent talents of Mr. Robin Williams. And also on ABC was Benson, which some of you may not realize actually was sort of a spinoff of the, uh, the series Soap. The governor, he was a cousin of um, one of the characters on Soap there. So, uh, meanwhile, over on the other station, because, you know, back then there were very few choices on what you could watch. And uh, ABC was one of the networks. NBC was where Buck Rogers was. But over on CBS, the eyeball, uh, it stands for Columbia Broadcast System, by the way, in case you didn't know. Uh, uh, Buck Rogers was competing against the perennial favorite, the Waltons. Yes, Mama Woman. Boy, uh, feed the chickens. Okay, mama, woman. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Good night, mama. Move your feet, they tickle. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was for part of a year, and then later during the summer reruns, 
Buck Rogers was up against a short-lived Norman Lear, Alex Haley, hour-long drama called Palmer's Town, USA. I watched it. Mm. It was good. It was good. It should have been on longer. Buck Rogers was getting hammered in the ratings by the popular Mark and Mindy and Laverne and Shirley. So the folks at NBC, the National Broadcast Company Programming, moved Buck from Thursdays to Saturday nights. And the show then had to compete with the sitcoms, the Bad News Bears. Oh, Toppy, I wish I had been older because I would have watched this. The Stalker Channing show? I got to... People got to watch Stalker Channing for more than just a bit part? Well, I'll tell you, it, 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 it may not have been a bit part, but uh, the Stalker Channing show came <laughs> and went. You know, I have... I, I, I remember it but I don't remember who she played or what it was all about. Hmm. Well, you know, I'm sure Delta Burke copied her later. Oh, and over at... What? A- <laughs> oh, so over at ABC, there was two short-lived sitcoms called Angie and the Good Time Girls. Well... Okay. Yeah, nobody remembers either of those. I mean, I with a name like the Good Time Girls, you have to wonder what it was about. Yeah, you do. Um, uh, here's the mystery for me, DJ. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know I watched Buck Rogers, okay? It was on Thursday nights at 8, opposite the Waltons. The thing is, I never miss the Waltons. I would have I would have watched the Waltons to the day I died. How did I see Buck Rogers? It's a mystery. Maybe I saw Buck Rogers when it was in summer reruns. I don't know. I really don't. But there's no way in hell I would have watched Buck Rogers if the Waltons were on. Mm-hmm. And yet I saw I saw all of the Buck Rogers episodes. It's a mystery. It must have been summer reruns. I don't know. Well, Let's talk about Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Yes. Um, way back a uh, long, 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 long time ago, it was a, a radio drama uh, based on Buck Rogers' characters created by Philip Francis Nolan. And it was a comic strip, and it appeared in magazines and comic strips. Starting in 1928, uh, the radio show, the radio drama, uh, started in 1932, and it ran until 36. Then it came back in 39 and 1940, and then it had a gap, and it came back in 1946 for another whole year in the ni- uh, 1947. And we think it was radio's very first science fiction radio show. So that's kind of a big thing, mm-hmm. considering uh, radio leading into TV and TV having a lot of science fiction shows, especially at the beginning. Um, for Buck Rogers, yeah, first science fiction radio show going all the way back. Now, in 1939, uh, some uh, kindred spirit, some kindreds, I'm reading the chat room and Tommy just asked. 
mad if he's on crack. <laughs> Anyways, they're having a discussion there. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in uh, ni- uh, back in 1939, uh, Buck Rogers was made into a science fiction film serial, and it was by Universal Pictures, and it starred Buster Crab. Uh, now, don't be confused, because you may have thought, Buster Crab, well, he was Flash Gordon. Well, he was Flash Gordon, too, <laughs> because he had previously played Flash Gordon in two serials, and actually he returned for a third, uh, but he was also in the serial Buck Rogers. Why not? By the way, Buster Crab. Uh, a little hottie he was. By the way, uh, oh, also, so now we get to 1979. After all this radio and old movie series, we get to 1979. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention it. There was also a, 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 a TV series. By the time TV came around, there was a Buck Rogers TV series. It was a flash in the pan, but it did air. But now we get up to 79, and we get Glenn A. Larson, a producer of note, who had many successful television series. Goodness, my, there were so many, uh, uh, all of which have left my mind. No, there was a Six Million Dollar Man, there was Switch, there was, oh, God, they are all leaving my mind, DJ. But he, take it, take my word. He produced a lot of success. Oh, Quincy. That was another one of his. There were many others. Trust me. Uh, by the way, uh, he did Battlestar Galactica too, like mm-hmm. just a year prior to putting up Buck Rogers. And, um, and uh, that was a, a lucky thing because Battlestar Galactica was the most expensive series in TV history. But because uh, uh, Glennie Larson was behind both Battlestar and Buck, guess what? He got to reuse all of the sets and props. I was going to say, it reminded me of childhood because I used to take my sister's dollhouses that they made for Homec and I redecorated them. <laughs> Oh, dear. You don't want to say that publicly, DJ. You don't want to say that publicly. I'm sorry. My my dad was a building contractor, so if you could Mm -hmm. imagine, I had access to wallpaper samples and carpet samples. Oh, dear. Carpet samples. Oh, dear. Oh, DJ, you're so blue tonight. Uh, uh, So, guess what? Uh, Larson uh, attracted network attention because he said, I can bring Buck Rogers in way cheaper than, oh, my God, there's Buster Crab in the chat room. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Um, uh, So Buck Rogers was way cheaper to produce, and uh, it got on the air. Of course, as we mentioned before, it was released theatrically. It it made a lot of money, and so uh, NBC said, sure. Uh, let's do it. And it got done. Uh, Glenn A. Larson started his career. He was going way back with Star Trek with producer Gene Kuhn. And he worked with him on Star Trek. So uh, I got to tell you, though, uh, uh, poor uh, Glenn A. Larson mm-hmm. was a bit of a, well, he was problematic in the TV industry. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, he had a reputation for retooling successful films into rip-off television shows. Oops, did I say that? <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. I'm sorry, he did. But also, uh, he apparently did some literal plagiarism that he got sued for. It was settled out of court, blah, blah, blah. I don't know why he felt he had to do that, but he apparently allegedly... No, I mean, he was... No, we don't have to say allegedly. He plagiarized uh, from other people's scripts and put them into his own shows. So, boo on Glenn Larson. Anyways, uh, it, it, it so infuriated James Garner, who was on the Rockford Files, that... Uh, and And... and, and James Garner was a producer of his own show, uh, and he knew damn well that Glenn A. Larson had plagiarized one of their scripts. And somehow, when Larson happened to be on the lot, James Garner was so angry with him, he punched Larson (laughs) so hard that he went flying into a makeup trailer and out the other side. And apparently... Uh, apparently that was true. Wait a minute! Billy Starts Age, where are you getting those photos? Is that Buster Crab? <laughs> Holy jeez. No, that's Tarzan or somebody. Buster yeah. Crab did do Tarzan, <laughs> by the way. An early Tarzan before uh, Johnny Weissmiller, I think. Mm. Anyways. So, Glenny Larson, uh, a powerhouse, many successful shows, but he may have been uh a slicky boy, plagiaristic uh, piece of S. Mm. But let's move on. Let's move on. DJ. Yeah, so we have reached about the halfway mark in the show. So we're going to step on over here to the snack bar where uh, Gertie is uh, serving up some treats. She's got some Rice Krispie nibbles. Yeah, no, I messed, up a, I messed up candy corn poured in water, boiling water, and it's sort of this sticky drivel, but you can drink it. Mm, sounds like supper and suck at that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so for your listening enjoyment, we have an interview with Aaron Gray, who is Colonel Wilma Deering on Buck Rogers, and this is with um, a podcast that calls themselves the Frenzy Podcast. It's two ladies interviewing Aaron Gray, about her days on Buck Rogers. And this is actually a recent interview in the last few years. So here we go. I was raised with you as a military officer in a show. So like I said, on Buck Rogers, Jen, because I'm a sci-fi geek and Jen is not, but in Buck Rogers, she was a a colonel, right? Was that your... Yeah. So she was... She was a strong woman who... who was in command. And that was an interesting role for me in that I felt that I went to work and had to put the cloak of strength on. Mm-hmm. And in a way, that role helped me to find that voice in myself because I was also dealing with domestic violence at home. Mm-hmm. So it was an interesting, I'm an interesting combination of a fierce and strong woman but my girlfriend used to come to my house and say, Erin, um, I don't know who you are when you're in your own home. You're like this geisha girl. 
and you're not that fierce person I go hiking with in the morning who like says it all and lays it out and you're, you're abroad, but not at home you're not. What happens? And I, I found myself in that role of trying to save him, help him. He dealt with a lot of um, post-traumatic syndrome. Um, he had nightmares every night in the 22 years we were married. And I felt I was a failure, that I didn't know how to help him um, until finally I, I couldn't do it anymore. It was just, you know. And well, and, and, well, and to that point, I, you know, here I am raised to understand that women were powerful based on your role. Like you're one of the first I roles. I mean, but I think that your situation, I don't think that's unique to you because I know that in my personal life, I have been the one where in my profession, I'm this fierce, strong willed, speak my mind kind of woman. But at home, I tend to go to the beta mode. And I think a lot of women go. So it's interesting you say that because in our careers, we're finding this voice of confidence or trying to, but it seems in our, in our own homes, that is the hardest place to find our voice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. How did you find your voice at home? and get out of that situation? Well, uh, it took him leaving me five times in a period of five months. And after a while, I realized that I couldn't function as a human being. I was emotionally unable to get a job. You know, I'd go in on an audition and they say, say, how are you? I'm going, I'm fine, I'm ready, I'm ready. Really, they're going to want that emotion on set. You know, I mean, I, I... It came down to survival. I cannot make the money anymore. I can't work. I can't function. I can't think. I can't, I can't do this rock, this back and forth. You can't one minute say you love me and everything's going to be great. And the next at midnight, tell me that's it. I'm leaving. What happened just two hours ago? I'm sorry. I don't understand. You know, and then I'd cry all night and then go on on an audition with puppy eyes and try to get through that and try to memorize my lines. It was just horrible. And finally, I just realized, I'm sorry, you walk out the door the fifth time. I can't do this anymore. And that's when I found my voice. And that was really, really hard for me because I'm a very committed person and I believe in commitment and honoring your commitment. And and I was there for the long haul. I was there, you know, I did, I, the idea of getting a divorce, my mother had been married five times. So the last thing I wanted to do was to repeat her pattern kind of thing or have, uh, anyway, it was, so when he finally left, I was very blessed that there was a man who'd been waiting for me for nine years. Oh, yeah. Three weeks after my husband and I split up, he called me up and said, so are you ready now? Alrighty. So, yes, that was Aaron Gray on the Frenzy podcast. Now, as we all know, there's a boatload of talent that goes into making a production like a TV series, Buck Rogers in 79. And of course, they had to pick someone to be the the star the leading man as it yes, were they, they uh the casting director said i want an actor that has a furry hairline 
from his chest. <laughs> his no, 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 that never happened. Uh, by the way, I, uh, before we get to uh, the cast, DJ, we're, mm-hmm. and by the way, we're going to talk about Aaron Gray a lot in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to like, assign the chat room a task, <laughs> a bit of a mystery. Uh, in my research, something claimed that the producer, Glenn A. Larson, composed, because Glenn A. Larson started his whole career out as a folk singer in some semi-renowned band whose name I have forgotten. And they had a couple of hit records. But this source credited Glenn A. Larson's with composing many of his television themes. Battlestar Galactic was one of them. It's hard to believe Battlestar Galactic is quite a symphony. I mean, it's big. But he's also credited with uh, composing Buck Rogers, which is different. But anyways, he also did many others. The thing is, I've also seen a credit that somebody named Stuart Phillips, I think, actually composed those. So while we're talking chat room, Google, Glenny Larson, Google who composed the theme to Battlestar Galactica and another show. I don't know, but fine. Like, I want this mystery solved uh, because I'm puzzled. Did Glenn A. Larson compose any of the music for any of the shows or what? Now then, DJ, mm-hmm. let's get it. Let, All after right. That, and Let's you, get into the cast. And, you know, since we do this show live on YouTube, if you happen to be watching the video, you could tell exactly what I have in common with Jill, Gil Gerard tonight. I'm chucking. <laughs> so Gil Gerard uh, played Buck Rogers, of course, um, Captain William Buck Rogers, and he was born in the state of Arkansas in Little Rock, the capital. Now, he later attended college a bit north. He went west of Chicago and attended a college known as Mary Knoll. It was a Catholic university. Uh, Gerard traveled to New York City, where he studied drama by day and drove a taxi cab at night. He picked up a fare that would lead to a referral to report in a few days to the set of the up-and-coming film Love Story. Now, this was being filmed on location in New York at the time. When Gerard arrived on the set, he was hired as an extra, and later that day, he was singled out for a bit part. But he wasn't included in the film. Womp womp. Now, during the next few years, he did uh, most of his acting in television commercials, almost 400, in fact, including a stint as a spokesman for the Ford Motor Company. And uh, uh, there were some small roles in a gay-themed film. Hello. Yeah, some of my best friends are... Dot, dot, dot. Yes. In 71. And the thriller... Man on a Swing in 74, because you go from gay to swing, you know. Uh, and then Gerard gained a prominent role in the daytime soap opera The Doctors for I two just, years. I just bet he did. Yee, mm, yes, nurse. 
doctor. And in 77, Gerard would play Lee Grant's, talk about an up-and-coming name at the time, Lee Grant's youthful lover in Universal Studios' Airport 77. Okay, that's one of my favorite movies, and I swear I must have watched it and never realized that it was Gil Gerard. Hmm. And he had a guest appearance in Little House in the Prairie, because, you know, Aww. he and uh, Michael Landon had to compare chest hair, I guess. Uh, but he impressed Michael Landon, who was, of course, the star of the show at the time, who cast him in a leading role in a film the next year, a TV movie called Killing Stone, who was about a, yeah. an ex-con. Not at all about the Stone Pillow, which is a different movie altogether. Mm. More to come on that one later. <laughs> now, Buck Rogers was Gil Gerard's fourth television series, but it wasn't. But it was his first leading role. So you know, he finally got his name on on the door. Now, after this, he was featured in a number of other TV shows and movies, including starring roles in the 1982 movie Hear No Evil as Dragon, which uh, was a short-lived series. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a, a TV movie called Hear No Evil, and his character was Dragon. And then after, he was in a short-lived series called Sidekicks in 86, oh. where, you know, he got to wear the robe and had the belt and all that. And then in, eight, in 1990, he was in Earth Force. Oh. Now, in 92, Gerard hosted the reality TV series Code 3. Now, that one I remember. And I wonder, did that come out before Rescue 911 and Bill Shatner? I think so. Hmm. I think so. Which followed firefighters from different areas of the U.S. as they responded to emergency calls. The show ran on Fox until the following year. And for the remainder of the 90s, Gerard made guest appearances on various TV shows, including something called Fish Police. Uh, Ah, That was a a, uh, cartoon. Oh, okay. And then there was the... um, Oh, the TV show called Brotherly Love that had uh, Joey Lawrence from Blossom in it and his brothers. And then uh, The Big Easy and Days of Our Lives and Pacific Blue. Um, Yeah, now dialing it back to Fox um, in 92, that was uh, right about when Alien Nation was canceled. And they replaced it with Beverly Hills 90210 when, <laughs> when Shannon Doherty was still a hot ticket. So, you know, judgment call there, folks. Anyways, <laughs> bringing it up towards the future. In 20, 2007, in January of that year, Gerard was the subject of the one-hour documentary, Action Hero Makeover. Now, this is serious Ooh. stuff, folks. It was a documentary. Yeah. He wasn't fooling around. Ah. This was written, produced, and directed by his then longtime companion, Adrian Crow, for the Discovery Health Channel. Now, the oh, film Jesus. documented ah. his year-long progress after undergoing life-saving mini-gastric mini bypass surgery. Say that three times fast. In October of 2005. Now, according to the program, he had been struggling with his weight for 40 years, losing weight only to gain it back. By the time of the program's production, his weight had risen to over 350 pounds. 
and he had had many life-threatening health problems, including a severe problem with type 2 diabetes. And within five days of the surgery, he had lost 20 pounds. Within three months, he had lost 80. And within 10 months, he'd lost a total of 145 pounds. Now, it's interesting because um, one possibility for tonight's intermission was an interview with our favorite uh, TV show host from Dallas, Bobby Wyant. And uh, he said his secret to weight loss was giving up sugar and flour. Well, that that came uh, and gone. Um, yeah, uh, sidebar, sidebar, sidebar. Mm-hmm. I, I was laughing earlier because the, na- the name of that documentary, Action Hero Makeover, made me think of something completely different. It was a, it, it had Stanley in it, and I thought it was that reality show, oh. so I laughed. Now, this, uh, this whole uh, gastric bypass surgery thing mm. is quite a deal. It's still going on. I, I will tell you right now, that it was offered to me, uh, and they would have taken me and done it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a bit of a scam. Uh, I don't think that I, in reality, I am a candidate. I don't, I don't, a candidate. I, I really don't think I'm a candidate. Yes, I'm overweight, but I don't think I'm a candidate for something surgical alteration of your body but i will tell you that it is a thing and if they can get you to go for it all i want to tell you is just watch out i mean that is bizarre that they would have brought me in in a heartbeat if i Mm -hmm. just said okay sure do it uh, and it's about money it's it's a scam i think in a in uh there are absolutely people who have been helped by it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that I I think that it's a, a, a little too loosely recommended mm-hmm. and loosely uh, watched over. Anyways, boy, was that a sidebar? Oh well, is that, is that... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just really quickly, um, you know, you're right. It, there there are people who absolutely need it, but it's also dangerous because. Once you've made those types of changes to your body, there is no going back. If you don't change your habits, which unfortunately for some of us are how we got to be where we were, then your body is going to be damaged when you start sliding backward because there's no more room anymore. They've actually physically altered your body if you've gone to the point of where you've had to have that surgery. So, yeah, um, I, I don't want to sound like I know a hell of a lot about it. Um, I, I just, I was astonished at how much they wanted me to do it. I <laughs> I, that's all. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, in addition to this, um, Gil Gerard has actually said in interviews that how he slid into this, this lifestyle was he previously had an addiction problem with alcohol and cocaine. And so he... That'll do do it. Well, he he substituted the alcohol and the cocaine with junk food. So he didn't... Yeah, just, um, you know, 
Just keep touching that electrified third rail there. So anyways, uh, Gil Gerard and his Buck Rogers co-star Aaron Gray reunited in the 2007 uh, TV film Nuclear Hurricane. Oh, Lordy. If you haven't seen that, boy, oh, boy. I think it was a sci-fi thing, mm. sci-fi channel thing. And boy, it was like uh, the Sharknado shit. <laughs> and boy, talk about cheesy. Anyways, I love it. Oh, they also, <laughs> they also returned to the Buck Rogers universe by playing the character's parents in the pilot episodes of James Cawley. And that's the man who brought us the Star Trek Phase 2 fan series and runs the Star Trek official Star Trek set tours in uh, in uh, northern New York there. Uh, it was called Buck Rogers Begins. It was a web series in 2009, and it actually is based on the original serials, so it's sort of a steampunk um, remake of the Buck Rogers yeah, story. Yeah. You, you were telling me before, because I would have, I'd like to see this, but mm-hmm. you're, you were telling me earlier before we started mm-hmm. that you, you can't find it anymore. It's Un- not out there. Yeah, unfortunately, due to uh, copyright issues that seemed to be rampant in the early 2000s, studios were suing fan film productions to cease operations. So this is uh, probably only available on the dark web. But um, if you dial back in the Discord chat room, I've pasted links to two of the surviving videos that are out there. One is sort of a a test trailer from the studio showing you what the special effects would look like with the uh, new Buck Rogers rocket ship from that time. And then the other one is about a four-minute clip showing you the scenes that Aaron Gray and Gil Gerard had in the film. Now, keeping in mind, this is based upon the original Buck Rogers storyline from World War One, So they're not playing Wilma Deering and Buck Rogers in this film. So um, uh, they're, they're playing Buck Rogers' parents. Correct. Okay. You know, back in the 1930s or so. So... Yeah. Uh, Gerard guest starred as Admiral Jack Sheehan in the Star Trek Phase Two episode Kitumba, and uh, that was came out in January of 2014. And in 2015, Gerard voiced uh, the character of Megatronus in Transformers: Robots in Disguise, which was an animated feature. Robots in Disguise. All right, excellent, DJ. Let's talk about Erin Gray. Mm-hmm. Uh, she played Wilma. Now, this is, okay, a little unusual, a little unprecedented, but I would say Erin Gray, uh, second in the credits of Buck Rogers, was equal uh, to Gil Gerard's character. Uh, and Gil Gerard, well, I'll tell you later, but Gil Gerard didn't particularly like that. But mm-hmm. Aaron Gray played Wilma, and she was in uh, in the first season in that silver uh, one-piece uh, thing that, uh, you know, uh, well, maybe may the reason why a lot of young men were watching uh, Buck Rogers. She was born in 1950. Uh, she's been a model, an actress, and currently, interestingly enough, she's a casting agent. But she is most remembered as Colonel Wilma Deering on Buck Rogers in the 25th century. She also had 
a role that lasted for several years in the 1980s as Kate Summer Stratton in the situation comedy Silver Spoons. Erin Gray was born in Honolulu and later lived with her grandparents in Palm Springs, California, and then a few years later, moving with her mother to Larkspur, California. Uh, Matt Burlingame, where is Larkspur in California? I don't know. Uh, by the way, it was in Larkspur, California, where she entered her first contest and won a modeling assignment in St. Louis. She was only 14 years old, the little dear. Uh, she uh, did commercials uh, that followed in Los Angeles. And uh, she also appeared on television in 1967 as a dancer in something called Malibu U, which I didn't bother to investigate. Sorry, I have no <laughs> idea what Malibu U was about. Gray briefly attended college at UCLA, majoring in, get this, mathematics. So she had a head on her, okay? Mm -hmm. She had a head on her. She was going to ma major in mathematics. Maybe her parents said, oh, dear, you know, this modeling thing is nice for you. But maybe you should go to school and learn something you can make a living at. I can almost guarantee you that was it. But she kind of wasn't really too excited about majoring in mathematics. So she left school, moved to New York City, where all models start. And that's where Grace started her modeling career. By 1975, get this, Grace was one of the nation's top TV models. She was earning $100,000 a year. I think that's a success. Mm -hmm. She had frequent modeling gigs in L.A., Los Angeles. And she was smart enough while there, she would audition for parts in TV shows. And her and, and that worked for her. Her first job was an uncredited performance as a model on the popular TV show, Maud. Hmm. That was followed by her first credited appearance on an episode of Police Story. Her big break came in 1978 when she landed her first. And uh, here is where we uh, clear up Toppy's... Uh tickle in his throat with some modern technology. Okay, I'm better. Uh, her big break came in 1978 when she's her first starring role. I'm a TV series. Uh, Many series, actually. Evening in Byzantium. And she got really good notice for that. So then Grey landed, because of that, a seven-year contract at Universal Studios. And that led directly to her taking the role of Colonel Wilma Daring and Buck Rogers. At first, just for the theatrically released movie, and then it became a TV series, so she got on that. Following the two seasons of Buck, beady, 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 Aaron Gray continued to act on television like so many others, uh, being a guest star on the shows of the day, which would have been shows like Vegas, Fantasy Island, Love Boat. Hey, boy, 
You know, if you if you were an actor of a certain age, you could have a career by just guessing over and over again mm-hmm. on Fantasy Island and the Love Boat. But she was also on Magnum P.I. She was on The Fall Guy. In 1982, she appeared regularly on the TV sitcom Silver Spoons with a little Ricky Schroeder. And uh, on that, she was the reoccurring character of Kate Summers Stratton. Gray has appeared mostly in smaller roles in over 20 movies, believe it or not. But yeah, uh, between 1982 and 2019, she was in a lot of movies. One of them was Chasing Coast to Hell, The Final Friday. It was the ninth movie in the Friday the 13th franchise, and she appeared as Jason's half-sister, Diana Kimball. More recently, Erin Gray starred in the 2011 film Dreams Awake. She appeared in the web series The Guild. In 2014, Gray was in the web series Star Trek Continues as Commodore Gray, a character she reprised in 2016 on a later episode. Presently, this is interesting, presently, Gray isn't acting anymore, uh, but she does have her own casting agency. It's called Heroes for Hire. And she, Aaron Gray, specializes in booking sci-fi and fantasy guest stars for personal appearances, speaking engagements, and charity events. And that all came from her stardom on Buck Rogers, and she would appear at many conventions. And she just parlayed that into a whole new career. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and she would help set up other people to do the same thing. That's what she's doing today. By the way, she also teaches Chai Chi. No, no, no. That's karate. Tai Chi is meditative. TJ, Mm -hmm. let's let's move over to another uh, actor in the series, Tim O'Connor. All righty. So Tim O'Connor, sort of the third wheel, the uh, the chaperone of the, uh, you know, Colonel Deering and Captain Rogers uh, little tryst there. Played Dr. Elias Huer and uh, Tim O'Connor. He was only in the first season, sadly, but, you know, the second season was so short. If you blink, you might miss it. And, hey, I'd like to think I did. Um, Born in Chicago, he was best known to viewers as Elliot Carson on the long-running television series Peyton Place in the mid-60s. He began his acting career with the Goodman Memorial Theater in Chicago, just after World War II, before moving to New York City in the early 1950s. And uh, he became one of television's busiest actors during the medium-dramatic coming of age. He appeared frequently, uh, or um, the mediums, meaning television's uh, coming of age, he appeared frequently on the United States Steel Hour. That's when we had... uh, you know, hour-long TV shows, and they were sponsored by a big name. And uh, that was in 53, and became a mainstay of the Family Classics series. Now, he starred in such productions such as The Three Musketeers and A Tale of Two Cities. 
until 1964 when Peyton Place, you know, that that was all about uh, controversy and, uh, you know, what uh, keeping up with the Joneses became a runway hit, runaway hit. O'Connor lived on an island in the center of Glen Wild Lake near Bloomingdale, New Jersey the Garden State, he soon found that commuting between the East Coast and Los Angeles was too wearing and moved to California. He settled in Santa Monica, a few short blocks from the Pacific Ocean, and established himself as one of Filmdom's most versatile performers. O'Connor specialized in playing military officials and police officers. Some of his other best-known roles, including Dr. Elias Heuer, on Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Wait a minute. What was his character name? Dr. Dr. Elias Heuer. Oh, okay. And <laughs> at the time, he was 52. So, you know, he's he still had uh, a, a couple decades in his career ahead of him. But by the time most people started seeing him on TV, he had already been on Peyton Place. So, uh, and Jack Boland on General Hospital in 63. So just before Peyton Place, he also appeared in two episodes of the mystery television series. One of our favorites we've covered before Columbo with Mr. Peter Falk as the rumpled detective. And his credits include a film called Wheels in 78. In 77, The Man with the Power. And also in 77, Tail Gunner Joe. And in 77, so he did one, two, three things, three films in 77. Murder in Peyton Place, which, which was a TV special. And that reunited him with many of his co-stars in from the original show. Huh. I would. I, I'd like to see that. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to find out. I want to see that. So, um, Tim O'Connor was an avid sailor, and owned a 32 foot Pearson Vanguard sailboat. So you know Why, he had bastard. a fancy boat for you know putting on the hat and going out with yeah, some uh, yeah. drinks. And he's being all successful and stuff with right. his boat. Yeah. I mean, he probably knew Nathan Hale. Um, and studied both sailing <laughs> to the waters of Mexico and Central America. Okay. So Tim O'Connor, uh, he passed away in more recent years in 2018, just three months away from what would have been his 91st birthday. Okay. Tim O'Connor is one of those characters that if you saw him, you'd say, oh my God, I know that guy. Uh, Okay, another another assignment for the chat room. On the second season of, of Buck Rogers, there was another elderly uh, actor who replaced Tim O'Connor. And I wanna I wanna know what was his name. Who was in the who was the eccentric uh professor type character in the second season of Buck Rogers? I could picture him. Can't think of his face. Uh, let's also mention way back at the beginning of the chat fest here in the live uh, chat room. By the way, we did you know we do this live? Yeah, and you can you can be here and participate like all these people. Uh, Tommy Hash Brown's 
mention the name of the actor that did the physical performance of Tweaky. I'm I'm dialing back uh, to see if I can remember because okay, Felix Silla. Uh, he was a, a an Italian character actress, character actor, circus performer, vo- voice artist, stuntman. And known for his uh, career in Hollywood and TV film, uh, he he was best known as Adam's family cousin. It well that little person uh, was in the costume of in the uh, yeah uniform costume of Tweaky, and the voice of Tweaky was none other than Mel Blank, the voice actor who uh, did Donald Duck and Bugs Bunny and all that. A beady beady beady. Gee, Buck, uh, I would love to know how much he got paid for doing that. I just want to know. Please, somebody do Anyways, DJ, I was old enough to be watching Buck Rogers when it came on. How about you? Where did you come across it? Oh, it was years later, and I want to say this must have been one of the shows that helped to launch the you know, back when we were getting a channel for everything on cable TV, the Sci-Fi Channel in the '90s started off um, showing reruns of things like Bionic Woman and the Six Million Dollar Man, and I'm pretty sure Buck Rogers was right there on that lineup. All right. Um. Uh. I think it's um, we need to talk about the difference between season one and season two of Buck mm-hmm. Rogers. So there was enough faith in Buck Rogers for the network to keep it on for another year. Uh, but they also understood we, we got to do better. We got to make it somehow better. And so there was uh, quite a bit of a reshuffle of the premise and everything. So the first year it was Buck Rogers on earth, trying to save the battle torn earth, uh, from outside invaders. And it was earthbound. And there was a bit of running around, uh, the universe with these stargate things. And, um, thereby they could travel to pretty much wherever they wanted. Uh, They didn't exactly call it a warp drive, but anyways. The second season, they really tried everything to to do what they thought would bring them better ratings. One was they left Earth, and Buck and Wilma and some new new professor-type character... uh, they were space travelers, and they were looking for early uh, seeds of Earth, kind of like Battlestar Galactica, really. They were looking for the origins of humanity, and they were space-bound, more like Star Trek. And TJ, off, uh, before, and I said, uh, DJ mentioned the costume change for Wilma Deering, uh, and uh, it was drastic. No longer did she wear that uh, one-piece suit. She was now wearing something like 
Uhura wore in the original Star Trek, a miniskirt. And, well, uh, the executives thought that would be better to see lots of leg, but I don't know, DJ, what did she look like? She looked like a <laughs> an attendant on a flight, you know, a, I don't know. I hear but, that Aaron Gray has called it um, the Dairy Queen uniform. <laughs> okay, yeah, there you go. Um, also introduced was a kind of what was supposed to be kind of... Uh, so they're moving more towards a, a Star Trek uh, background. And they introduced a Spock-like character in the form of this bird guy who was the last survivor of a bird uh, people. And uh, I don't know. His name was Bird. No, it wasn't Bird. I can't remember what he was called. <laughs> it was just Hawk. But, Hawk! Thank you. And to be honest with you, uh, they started out really strong in that second season because they played up the character Hawk and his uh, antagonistic relationship with Buck Rogers, and he was uh, a lot like a like a Native American uh, who would be bitter about uh, the U.S. Uh, just stealing their land. It was that kind of character. It had a bit of gravitas, and all of this really were better scripts. The problem is there was a writer's strike. Mm -hmm. And that hampered the start of the second season. And I forget how many episodes were produced that second season. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't a full season. And because of that writer's strike, and just because the Waltons continued to hammer down the... <laughs> No, I don't know that. I think the Waltons may have actually ended. Well, I mean, Laverne and Shirley went to space. I guess that was the lid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, poor Buck Rogers just couldn't get by further than a second short season, even with all of the revamps they did. And certainly... DJ, I know you you didn't get a chance to see any of the second season shows, but I can tell you, I saw them. They were hella tons better than the first season, which were kind of campy, kind of cheesy. And by the, by the, holy Jesus, it's 1021, DJ. <laughs> oh, my God. We've gone on way uh, too long. Yes, yeah, so really quickly, there was a bunch of people who had guest appearances on this show. I mean, it was the early 80s, and it was just, um, I mean, I was to the point where I just wanted to watch the episodes to see the guests, because that was more interesting to me. Okay, so Jamie Lee Curtis was in an episode called The Unchained Woman. Um, you also had uh, Buster Crab act was in two episodes. You know? That was cool. Yes. Uh, and then there was also Richard Mall, who was the bailiff on Night Court later on. Ah. And um, what's her name? Uh, Marky Post, who was also on Night Court. Uh, it just goes on and on. So, um, oh yeah, and the and the and the guy that was in the um, the uh, Steve Gutenberg movies about the West, um, 
you know the 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 uh guy that used to do the ripley's believe it or not shows oh uh yeah that, that guy. That guy, yes. So ah! a lot of people were guests of the week on Buck Rogers, and it was worth watching, especially Jamie Lee Curtis, because, you know, she got to escape from prison. Anyways, so we are out here at the lobby, and uh, we like to tell you about some things you might enjoy if you like things like Buck Rogers. This is our snack tray. So I'll go first. I'll, I'm going to recommend something from uh, 1999 and it's a similarly inspired story storyline is thrown into a distant past of the universe an earth astronaut finds himself part of a fugitive alien starship crew Hmm, sounds similar starring ben browder and claudia black at the beginnings of their career on the sci-fi channel with special effects by the Jim Henson Company. So you've got aliens that are also puppets, so now we're breaking the rules, and they look weird, but they're cool. In the 99-syndicated hour-long sci-fi TV show, Farscape. There you go. That's a good choice, Steve. All right. Uh, I'm going to suggest, if you like, uh, uh, Buck Rogers with Gil Gerard, Aaron Gray, why not why not watch Battle Beyond the Stars from 1980? It's a movie by the legendary king of B-movies and exploitation flicks, Roger Carmen. Uh, well, he cashed in on the Star Wars craze with this space opera, and it was one of his more expensive undertakings. Basically, it was a retooling of The Magnificent Seven, which was in itself, a retooling of the Kurosawa classic, uh, Seven Samurai. Uh, by the way, uh, Hollywood had already made uh, that film, uh, and it, it starred uh, Robert Vaughn in The Magnificent Seven. And uh, uh, Richard Thomas was... Uh, Robert Vaughn and Richard Thomas highlighted the uh, stars of Battle Beyond the Stars. And it's about a, a farm boy, John Boy, <laughs> uh, out to destroy an evil empire's planet-killing vessel. Uh, and uh, Battle Beyond the Stars is also interesting for movie fans because it boasts two notable uh, but then aspiring creatives behind the scenes. First of all, James Horner, uh, who did uh, the mag uh, magnificent scores for uh, Star Trek uh, Two, I believe, and Aliens. James Horner did the score of Battle Beyond the Stars. And also James Cameron, uh, uh, you know, the Titanic, you know, uh, Terminator, uh, Avatar, James, <laughs> Avatar. James Cameron was a freaking model builder when uh, in 1980, and he was hired to do the models for Battle Beyond the Stars and also some of the interior sets, which he was brilliant at. And he and what Roger Corman loved the most was James Cameron 
got it done uh, in on a very low budget because he would use things like egg cartons and uh, tinker toys. <laughs> I don't know what else. At any rate, if you like Buck Rogers, yeah, that'll be on the stars with Robert Vaughn and Richard Thomas from the Waltons. Uh, because it's 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 kind of a cultish, interesting, uh, little ditty. So there you go. Okay. Well, so Toppy, I I am interested to watch because I have seen that it's available on Tubi on and off. So, um, but I do have to ask, considering that it's Richard Thomas. <laughs> yeah, I, I could just imagine the tagline and the TV commercials for it. He's the only astronaut that doesn't wear shoes. <laughs> oh. oh, my God! Wouldn't that be great? Maybe he was. Maybe when he was a farmer, he didn't have. Ch- I don't know. But that's uh, great. That's great. All right. Well, so. What are we doing next time? All right, Toppy. Go up there and grab that bag of coins so we can figure this out. We've got a magic machine here. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Coins. Juggle them around. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to reach under the desk here. Oh, there. That's the. I just opened the capsule that has our our next flick, um, uh, folks. Next time on that name minutia, it's the nineteen seventy seven Mel Brooks farce, High Anxiety, do, 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 starring Brooks himself as the lead. And my God, it's not a Mel Brooks movie without Harvey Corman, Horace <laughs> Leachman, and Madeline Kahn. They're all in there. It's a parody of Alfred Hitchcock films. Uh, next time, uh, Friday, November 3rd, please join us. You can be here live, by the way. And uh, it's 1977's High Anxiety. Mm, what better way to send us off into the holiday season than a little anxiety? Yeah, and we've kept folks way too long. Mm. I don't know how. How did we talk about Buck Rogers for this long? I'm not sure. I mean, you just have to say Gil Gerard, chest hair, spandex. Uh, Uh, Fuzzy chest hair that leads down to his crotch. I don't know. Anyways, we're going to let you all go. I'm I'm sure you're thankful. I mean, I'd like to thank uh, the people in the chat room that joined us, our pal Tommy Hashbrowns. Uh, our pal Matt Burlingame, who does Chubbs Gone Wild and the Big Gay Sex Show, The Daddy Ears. Uh, I think Lamont Cranston might have been here. Uh, Lamont Cranston, he's from New York City. Um, and uh, I think your hubby, yeah, no, I know your hubby uh, was here for a while. Thanks, all, everyone, for being here live and helping us out and making us. I uh, feel like we're talking to somebody. Thank you. You know, I'm sure that they're probably glad they didn't have Velcro on Buck Rogers because that would have gotten caught. But it's worse. I hear that they had zippers. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, you can kind of see them. All right. Well, if you would, um, you know, a la the original Buck Rogers on the radio. How did they say goodbye in the old ways of the uh, ways of the old days of radio, Toppy? And they would just simply say, Good night, Gracie.
Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to matineeminutia.com, click the YouTube icon for live video, enter Discord or chat. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Tweet us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Find our group on Facebook. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. 